love it. Everybody, thank you for being here. My name is Scott Lambert. I know a whole bunch of you, but I've, I've kind of reacquainted and shook hands in a, a couple of places. And so it's a delight to have all of you here as I drop my clicker and ruin my whole night, probably. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, th- thank you for a full day, a full two and a half days. And so to be here tonight, we honor um, the topic Uh, Keep calm and carry on. How's that for a title? Lord, thank you that Jim and I have had the chance to think this through and to take time to meditate and think what we needed to talk about. And so I pray tonight is a night of great encouragement and maybe even a little bit of peace. And that's my prayer. Um, For about a minute, I would... I'd like all of us to just stay quiet and take a minute for introspection. How is your soul? And I'll bring us back in just a minute. Let's be quiet before the Lord. In the quiet of the night, we say thank you for listening to our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. That quiet was not an excuse to get my clicker. I left it right there because I wanted to look at my soul too. Hold that thought, how's your soul? My name is Scott Lambert, and it's good to see a lot of friends and to meet some new friends. I think you win. Well, no, well, I don't know. Let's, let's. Florida is the furthest. Anyone beat Florida? Joel, do you count? Russia. (laughs) Okay, you win. Absolutely. Um, To have so many here and to see some faces that I know, but also to meet some new friends tonight. God bless you. Well, God bless you for being here for this conversation. Um, When Jim Martin, who was here last night, and I started to work on this a while back, we kind of laughed Keep calm and carry on. Of course, a good British saying, right? You've all heard the story by now of those were kind of posters. I forget what the actual poster was. Was it that? I think it was. That was printed during World War II that the British were ready to put out if the Nazis overran Germany. And someone 20, 30 years later found them in a storage unit and thought that was, you know, it's become kind of a, a phrase. And I've heard lots of ministers keep calm and carry on. And so tonight, we want to talk a little bit about how ministers and leaders can move forward when uh, things are difficult. Uh, Jim had to go home. Uh, graduations tomorrow of the seminary that he leads. So we kind of divided things up. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, um, my wife and I lead a ministry called the Conversation Group. We work uh, with a lot of ministers and missionaries and church leaders and whoever else. And, and that's pretty, 
amorphic description of what we do because we're pretty amorphic. We started three years ago out of some hard times in ministry after a pretty hard season. And we said, what, what do we want to do in this next chapter? And I'm an optimist, but probably the last chapter of my working life, I suppose. And what do we want to do? So we started this thing called the Conversation Group. And we work with, like I said, ministers, missionaries, leaders, church churches. Uh, I've got a Division One basketball coach we talk to, and here's what we offer: the opportunity for conversation. Hey, in ministry and kids and life, we kind of found revenue sources so we don't have to charge ministers a whole lot because they don't have a lot of extra. But they, so it's been kind of good for us to be able to just open up and say, "Hey, what do you want to talk about?" And it, we, we've been extremely blessed. So when Mike asked us to take this, it's partly because we talked to people that are kind of in either strategic help, which is great. That could be, you can be a great mood and need strategic help, but also soul care. And then the other thing that we talk a lot about is courage as leaders. How do we be courageous leaders? So there you go. That's what we do. Boy, that's fun. I talk all day. That sounds awful in some ways, doesn't it? But there are days I just have to go suck my thumb and get in the fetal position in a corner and not talk to anyone, so I love that. Well, uh, some of you, Dale, you ready for this picture? Dale, this is our friend, Melvina Brown. So when Jim and I, Jim took last night, and I said, well, let me take this night, and, and we kind of decided tonight would be a little more diagnostic, okay? And so... If you were here last night, Jim really was kind of reporting what ministers say and what, how do we carry on. Well, uh, my friend, I was telling my friend Melvina, hey, I'm doing this class. I'm kind of supposed to talk on burnout. She goes, oh, that's just what I've been studying at Arizona State University. And I love Melvina. She's kind of been out working for 10 years and gone back to school. So she like, she's like real adult, right, in university. And so I love Melvina because she takes, I think I actually, we worked together for four years and I'm pretty sure I burned her out as her boss. And so we kind of laughed and talked about that a little bit. Melvina's going to listen to this later. Melvina, uh, we love you. I've got your picture up on the screen. And this is some of the material that Melvina has kind of shuffled to me and uh, reworked it a little bit for ministers. So I have three things I want to share tonight. And here we go. Let's do a little diagnostic work. You ready? Uh, after the second thing, okay, Brianna, would you read Romans 5, two and a half through five in a little bit? I'm going to call you. Let's give you some time to look it up. So here we go. Um, and I even kind of want to just for a minute maybe define how ministers and leaders can move forward when ministry is difficult. I have to say, Jim and I, when we talked about our class and the title, we didn't quite know what to say when ministry is difficult. When, when you get let go, right, Jason? Jason and I have been let go in the last three or four years here. He's a buddy of mine. Or is it, is it the problems of ministry, like problems of people's lives, deaths, sickness? Yes, it's all of that. But what about when it does get to be personal and conflict at church or in your nonprofit? Yes, we wanted to say all those things are difficult for ministers and leaders to kind of wrestle with. 
So instead of kind of talking about that, I want to talk about what happens when you have to wrestle with stuff for a long time tonight. Let's start with the term burnout. How's that sound? What happens with burnout? Thank you, Melvina. We love you. The term burnout has become a prominent uh, way to describe work-related exhaustion experienced in various forms. And this term only came about in 1974, and isn't this a great name for a psychologist? Herbert Freudenberger was the first word, or the first to use the word referring to harmful cognitive and emotional effects. Freudenberger characterized burnout as the feeling of wearing out. And today, the word burnout really means a psychological syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and reduced personal accomplishment. And we could talk about that a long time, but let's just dig in for a bit. According to the professionals in the psychological world right now, uh, burnout seems to kind of come in three different categories. Number one, exhaustion. Now, I'm really tired. It's been a long day. I get up at 60. But that's different. I'm tired. I'm not exhausted. I meant to say this at the beginning. I think it's important for you to hear your teacher's really in a pretty good place in his life right now. I am not burned out. I'm having the time of my life doing ministry. But I've been exhausted. Professional. So that's, this is Melvina's uh, from her professional, from her um, training in class. This is her, the, the definitions. Professional, minister, leader, whatever, is feeling drained, worn out, or depleted. And this can be physically or emotionally. So exhausted. Take that one down, man. Exhausted. Number two, depersonalization. Professional is detached and irritable or annoyed. They don't feel connected to the work anymore. They become cynical and negative about work. They feel depersonalized. Okay, and then let's go to number three, ineffective. Professional feels incompetent to make a change. What's the use? They lose value in what they are. Aren't those three descriptors of burnout? Um, there's a temptation to say, hey, what do you feel about burnout? But it's already 9.15 on one hand, exhausted. But I also know that this is such a personal conversation. I'm not going to ask you any questions. Let's not go there. I will tell you about me. I will tell you about me. I think depersonalization has been the one that I've struggled with. I worked here for 20 years. Being in this chapel actually is very uh, powerful for me. I was in here two or three times a week for worship. I was a minister at Pepperdine, one of the ministers at Pepperdine. And this is home. I mean, this is home. The crush of life on a, a university campus with college students and well, you just fill in the blank. Hundreds of students coming by my office every day, often complaining, for me led to depersonalization. About March, I became irritable and annoyed. Yeah. And my wife, Kim, would always say, oh, it's March. And I was in burnout. I love the 
the way that they, the professionals were saying, burnout comes in two primary ways. They act anxious with lots of energy or with depression, usually showing no emotion or a flat affect and being withdrawn. Okay, you've already, those of you who don't even know me, which one do you think I struggled with? The first one, right? I was hyper. And, and, and I tried to overcome. And burnout became synonymous for overdoing. And we weren't baptizing enough people. And we weren't this. And I was mad at my staff. And you kind of began. As I matured, I got better at it. But that's, I just want, I just want all of you to kind of stop and think for a minute about the hardships of leadership. Which one sits in your soul? Exhaustion, depersonalization, ineffectiveness. And a lot of people become withdrawn. Some people become over hyper. Man, I have a good ministry friend. He was making big decisions in the last year. Um, he was struggling for his worth. And so he overperformed at every point. And at one level, he said, boy, he's working really hard. At another level, he was so anxious and irritated, and he crashed in the last six months. And that's the effects of, of burnout. The simmer. I love what Melvina said. Yeah. And usually you don't wake up one day and say, oh, I have burnout. It, it simmers. Professionals, burnout doesn't happen overnight. And it's hard to recognize. Professionals often lack, uh, you know what? I, I kind of think when I was young, this one was me. We, people often lack introspection. The ability to sit down and just, Look deep within in themselves. And they begin to cook like the frog in the boiling pot. It's getting hotter and hotter, and they don't even know it. Well, that was kind of me in some ways. Many professionals keep their feelings of stress secret, making the process worse. People feel alone even as others have the same stress. And it begins to come out in these particular ways. Less patience, poor engagement, and destructive attitudes. I don't know. I think a lot about, um, this is introspection, right? I've had three months to think about this. Oh, I'm better. Um, I'm better at uh, burnout. I've been in ministry 40 years now, give or take a year. And I see it and I recognize it. So tonight, I guess I want to, finish a couple things here with Melvina, but I really want to come around toward the end to say, what's the spiritual nature of our reactions? Well, I love the, I love Melvina's notes, and I, when I asked her about it, we kind of laughed. They had really two responses. Here's the first response. Get another job. <laughs> I love that response. Hey, and that is legitimate. If you're in an environment that is awful, don't stay for 20 years. Holy cow. Now, the other one is take care of what you can control. And most of the time, employees can't redirect the unhealthy environment, but they can change their perspective. And I'm going to add a third one here that's not in Melvina's notes. So control what you can, okay? Control yourself. Control what you can. I'm going to add kind of a third one. I'm guessing a lot of us in this room are actually kind of in control of the culture and environment 
that we're in. Uh, control, wrong word. You're, the, you're some of the main influencer, influencers of the environment you're in. And that's why I've thought about Malvina a couple times. We worked together four years. My friend got these notes, the picture. Um, I love Melvina. I think I burned her out, though. We were kind of stressed about the ministry. We were running together and, and um, had her on the road too much. And that's why she's resonated with these notes. But you know who some of the problem was in Melvina's life? Me. Melvina, you don't have to. You, I know you love me. You don't have to tell me otherwise. But I also know. I also know. So I want to say something to those of us, those of us who are in charge of cultures, okay? Start fostering a supportive environment with burnout prevention programs. You can tell these are Melvina's professional notes, right? Uh, those of us who are leading churches, we need to be aware of burnout. There you go, period. There you go. Create an environment of honesty and endorse the phrase, take a break or resting. <laughs> that boy, could we spend two hours on that, right? Um, don't work too hard. That's it. There are seasons to work really hard, and then there are times you have to kind of protect yourself. And I'm talking to a room full of spiritual leaders, and there should be no burnout shame for employees. You know, I, I putting this class together, I thought, what would my Culture of 50 years ago, say to all this, googly gawk, ah, yeah, suck it up, buddy, and go to work. We pay you. I remember the church, a church near me, didn't, their minister didn't stay in the office eight hours a day. Uh, he would go out for walks, and I know what he was doing. He was thinking about his sermons. He was, they fired him because he wasn't in his office eight hours a day. Isn't that terrible? He was protecting himself. I, I love, I kind of want to pull these together then. Most experts now say that burnout is a representation of the environment, not the employee. Now there's where I want to sit for a while. Sometimes you're the boss. Sometimes you're the employee. Sometimes you're the minister, and we, we are in systems. I'm going to look up here. I'm not going to look at anyone. I don't want you to think I'm looking at you. Okay. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm a minister, and boy, have I blamed a lot of elders over the years. And so if you're an elder, shame on you, okay? But if you're a leader of a minister, shame on you too, because you're a leader. And you help set the culture too. So how about all three of those? Sometimes you can, you're the victim, but sometimes you're the perpetrator. So I think burnout becomes... Something we all have to watch. I've led organizations, and I know I burned people out, and I admit it. And I've been in organizations, and I've been burned out. And I would say both of those are kind of my fault. Both of them, absolutely. Uh, Melvina snuck these extra notes in, which I love to death. Dale, we know Melvina. She had to get these in here. I love this. Man, Exercise, breathing, gratitude. We could talk about all that. We don't have the time, but they're there. God is a healer. 
Whether you're in a burnout phase or coming out of one, remember the healer. God's able to heal all things. You are loved today just as you were yesterday. And think of Richard Beck's sermon tonight, right? God loves you. He has always loved you. He's not getting ready to be mad at you. So I find this to be one of the more helpful conversations that I've had in a long time about burnout. So... um. Let's go to scripture for a minute. You ready? Brianna, if you would, would you read Romans 5 for us? That would be great. Uh, Romans 5, start in the middle of two and a half to five. How's that? Well, you start at verse one if you want. Romans 5, verse one. Yep. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, yeah, sorry. I might be burning you out with stress right now. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry, Brianna. <laughs> my mentor when I was a young minister gave me this this verse for the long marathon run of ministry we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope thank you Brianna for reading that I love it what was the version you were reading that was really good New living, that was beautiful. And hope does not put us to shame. But hear that out. Suffering, perseverance, character, hope. Suffering, perseverance, character, and hope. Suffering, suffering. If you've chosen to go into vocational ministry or church and spiritual leadership, you notice that little equation, and I don't know that Paul meant to be an equation, but it starts with suffering. We will have trials. It will be hard. There is an enemy. Perseverance, character, and hope. Well, I was talking with another person that I've had a long relationship, a guy named David Clayton. Uh, he started a church in downtown Nashville, and it's called Ethos. And they do a lot of training for ministers, and he shared this with me, and I thought I would share this with you tonight. You know, when we get into leadership, stage one, D1, says desire. Oh, boy, I can't wait to serve the Lord. I went into ministry, and it's going to go great. I'm going to change the world. But what comes next often is despair. And here's where the box, of course, we're trying to lead it all the way around to the fourth side. But if you shortcut here, you go back up. You see how the arrow takes you back up, and you're, you're out, and you have to go to the next thing. That's the short-circuited approach to leadership. When in reality, the third D is discipline. And let's go to the fourth one, delight. Did you notice how, what a good mood I'm in? I am 64, yes, absolutely. I am 64, been in ministry 40 years. I am a man that's living right at the moment in great delight. Hey, would you open this for me? <laughs> I am suffering right at the moment. Well, let's, let's, let's parse these out a little bit, okay? When we're ready for a new opportunity or a new place or whatever, of course, we're like, look at the opportunity. This is going to be incredible. And we're encouraged, and we take off, and we run, and we go. 
and thank you. And and it's the world is ours. It's our oyster. Here we go, right? Desire. But then, of course, comes the despair. And here are the tools then to begin to use in this section when we hit it. We all know, right, that nothing goes in a straight line. Every time you start something, Satan's going to come after you, right? We know these things. I just want to spend a minute in these four things. When you are in a despair mode or in burnout, here are the places that I have found, and David and I kind of talked about it, and he said, in my life, this is what I found. You have to kind of live in these areas. Come back to your vision. Why are you doing what you're doing? I love where Richard Beck started tonight. 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ, love compels us. And I want to be an ambassador for him. I have to say, when we were at Pepperdine University, that was our theme verse for 20 years. Christ's love compels us. And students, you're an ambassador for him. And that vision kept driving us. And when I was despaired, I could see a vision. Understanding. I love the third one, grace. This is where you have to be graceful to yourself and to others. We're all fallen. When we get in despair, then the third one becomes important. Grit, right? How do we kind of start to fight it out? I think the, the desire then has to be to go to the third D, and this falls into the overcoming despair. These are the, I don't know, I love the, the three things here. Practical tools, coaching, and accountability. Um, when David shared this, um, he shared it in the context of working with about 25 different church planners around the world. Interesting, huh? He said, every single one of them are like, I'm going to go and change the world. Woo! Church planners, right? We got a bunch of church planners right here. That's the desire. Well, then the despair comes, but you have to get through it, I think, with practical tools. That may not be the first answer that you kind of would say to yourself for discipline, but become practical. I have to get after this. But then I think the world has to get a little bigger and go to coaching. Have mentors and coaches and people that can give you counsel. And then I think for leaders, we have to have accountability. And you know we could talk for hours on each one of these. But that this is the grit stage, right? This is the discipline stage when it comes. And then you can find your way to the glory and the delight, I guess, where community calling and sustained vision begins to take hold on your life. I'd been in ministry about five years, and I had come to a place of despair. I mean, I lived in Malibu, dude. Who, who should be in despair living in Malibu, right? But, but, but it becomes about your vision more than about anything else. And I had to sit down and say, Kim, what's our vision for our life? And that allowed us to, that allowed us to say, what are we going to do? We had to give ourselves grace. But I also began to reach out to people more. I was kind of a proud young guy. I remember in the burnout thing, I'm a go-getter. 
uh, uh, I, I'm the kind that plowed through things, even knowing that stuff was hard. But at some point, you still have to process it. The body keeps score, right? And I began to realize, am I doing things out of what? So you understand in the despair season, it's about vision. If you understand in the discipline, it's about getting coaching and accountability and tools. And then for the long haul, it becomes sustained vision. What's going to drive you? And I've developed a personal mission statement that keeps me going. Useful to God and my neighbors. That's been my vision. Useful to God and my neighbors. That sustained vision that is there. I want to take a couple more minutes and just give you some real practical things for when ministry is hard. I want to give you four. And I have found these to be the things that have sustained me. Okay? So now remember, vision and a calling and grit and all those things. Let me come at it from a different direction. I think each of you need these four things. I'm really good at three of them. I'm not very good at the fourth one. But here we go. Number, here we go. And I'm going to save my best for last. So here we go. I think everybody needs a mentor for the long haul to be able to carry on. <laughs> you need a mentor. Everett Hufford, some of you know that name. He was an early life mentor. Dan Anders, my coworker here, but he was 25 years older than me, and he took me under his wing. He, he, he nurtured me. Uh, uh, everyone needs a mentor. Number two. I love this one. This is the one I'm not very good at. Everyone needs a therapist. See, that's that touchy-feely 50 years ago thing that my ancestors would go, therapist, you don't want to see, you're sick. I think if you're in ministry, you really kind of do need. I have a good friend that led a great organization. He said, we go every year, my wife and I, for six weeks to therapy every year. We pay for it. It's a tune-up. I, 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 that's... I've done it at certain times in my life, but I do think it's powerful. This is what experts say. Everyone should have a mentor, a therapist. I think you need a coach, number three. Someone that can ask the kinds of questions that you can answer them yourself. That's kind of a good coach. Um, I have a great coach. Uh, we went to school together, so in some ways we're kind of equals, but for a season I coached him, and then I said, would you coach me? You know, it's Wilson Parrish, my buddy Wilson. And so about every three weeks we get on the phone, and he just nails me to the wall most of the time. He's kind of my coach. By the way, have you noticed? Um, so far, everybody's out of your circle, probably of your church. Those three. Now, number four can be in your church, but I think you need them outside your church. Here you go, number four. This is the dumbest thing I'll say all night. You need friends. Why is that dumb? Of course we all should have friends, right? But we live in such a lonely world. 
You know who's become a good friend of mine is Jason right here. We've bonded, I would say, wouldn't you say? You become a friend. Now, I know I kind of started as a coach, right? Is that a fair statement? Yeah. But we've turned into friends. Well, yep, talked talked to you out of jumping a few times, right? Yeah. And but we become friends. Um, before Pepperdine Harbor, 32 years in a row. I don't want to gloss over that. 32 years in a row. We did, well, we did miss COVID one year, but we snuck out and, and did it anyway. We've, I've got five friends. We go away for two days before Harbor, and we're, we're friends. We all went to college together. A uh, bunch of us on Monday mornings uh, for an hour get on Zoom almost every week. These are my friends. They live all over the country. We gather at Pepperdine. We did two days in Palm Springs. Yes, Lord, someone must go to Palm Springs, right? How stupid is that? But that, that's our friendship. You got to have friends. I, I can't tell you how much I love John and Anita down the street from us. We go to church together, but we laugh. We tell stories. Something's up. I go down to John. Hey, John, let's go ride bike. Find some friends. How about those four things? as a way to kind of prevent the discouragement that will drive you out of ministry and out of service. Mentors. A therapist. Told you I was good at three out of four. Mentors, therapist, a coach, and friends. And that then begins to get at the kind of the sequence we read, right? There's going to be suffering, but suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and then character, hope. How about that? I know in the room there's a lot of discouragement. Church may not be going great. Um, take care of yourself. Last little picture I want to leave with you comes from a book that I have really grown to love. It's by a Jewish rabbi who loves Christians. He just thinks Christianity is the greatest thing. He's taught, he taught at theological seminaries and all kinds of stuff. His name was Edwin Friedman. Uh, maybe some of you have read his book that's kind of the famous book, Failure of Nerve. So uh, this was a book out of the family systems world, right? Uh, how, family counseling and systems, but he began to take that to organizations and apply family systems theory of healthy families to organizations. Interesting book. Um, again, after he wrote the book, he began to teach at seminaries, a Jewish rabbi at seminaries. But the, the, the premise of the book is this, the leader must be healthy or the organization will not be healthy. Isn't that an interesting concept? The leader and leaders must be healthy, or the organization will not be healthy. And he's, he describes life this way in organizations. Leaders are like a healthy cell. Biology, you know, we're all made up of billions of cells, right? A healthy cell has great boundaries. It is safe when it has great boundaries. It's healthy when it has great boundaries. So what's good community? I need two hands. So here we go. One healthy cell 
with great boundaries joins another healthy cell with great boundaries and then joins another healthy cell with great boundaries. You get the point? And then that's healthy. Healthy, healthy. Well, what's cancer? It's a cell that doesn't have boundaries and begins to latch onto other cells and begins to break down their cells, and then that cell breaks down, and, the, and all of a sudden. Uh, it's one of the most interesting books I've ever read because the concept is an organization has to be full of healthy people. Suffering, perseverance, character, hope. Of course there's going to be suffering. But if the leaders are healthy, the organization and the organism has a chance. I plead with you, be healthy people. Be healthy leaders. I'll tell you what that means. That means sometimes people need to leave your churches. If they're going to be a cancer, you work with them. Of course, you'll have some suffering, but if they win, guess what? The organism and the organization dies. You as Christian spiritual leaders are called to be people that work with burnout and live in health. So, if you heard the phrase, um, the non-anxious presence in the room, if you heard that phrase, it's kind of come along to be part of culture. Now, it came from Edwin Friedman, who said the healthy leader is the least anxious person in the room. It could be that even when you're working with your elders, everybody's like this. <sighs> elders need a minister and ministers that are healthy. Elders need to be healthy, too. I've been an elder, and I'm telling you, if the leaders are not able to be healthy, then the church will die. And it starts with you. So, keep calm and carry on. The non-anxious presence in the room. We've worked together a lot the last few months. I hope I'm the non-anxious presence in the room most of the time. Okay, I hope so. You know. A good answer. Thank you for that answer. It would have been really awkward if you said you suck. At that. I've learned. Stress all out. Ah, stress everybody out. Absolutely. I've learned that that I my health will begin to dictate the health of the organizations I touch. Well, God bless you on this night. I hope you're encouraged by these words. And the idea of burnout, talk to someone. If we want to get on the phone in the next couple of weeks, that's what I do. I work with leaders. Uh, if you're near a cliff, Jason's not near a cliff as much anymore. Well, don't answer that question. I know. Different cliff, I know. I would love to talk. I'll stay up here. If suffering, perseverance, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. It's 
sometimes we are victims in the systems or the churches and the cultures we're in. So help us to control what we can. Sometimes we're leaders. And so and we can't control. So help us to be people of godly, Jesus-like character. Richard Beck talked about the, the, the prodigal son and the father. Help us to be like the father who let his son, I guess, let, I don't know if that's the right word, but he, let, he had a healthy home for his son to come back to. Help us to be those leaders. Thank you for the opportunities you've given us. And help us to remember suffering, perseverance, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. On this blessed night, I pray that you will touch somebody in their heart, in their soul, to be healthy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody.